Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the only podcast devoted to the band Madness by Madness fans. I'm Polly. And I'm Lori. And today we've got a special one, kind of different. Uh, let's get right into it. Lori, what's today's podcast episode about? Well, today we're going to talk about the Go-Go's, specifically the early years of their career, because there's an overlap between Madness and the Go-Go's that not a lot of people are aware of. But before we get into our episode, Polly, I think we have a lot of items for The Communicator. So exciting news for us here at Stateside Madness. On Tuesday, October 19th, we hit 6,000 podcast downloads. To quote Sally Field, you like us. You really, really like us. Yeah, at least, uh, you know, six people each listening a thousand times like us. But uh, I'm happy. That's great. Yeah. uh, Never, never, never in my wildest dreams i think we would even get that many folks listening so that's that's great thanks for everybody who does and it's really picking up too it's really picking up uh we're gaining some momentum i think we're getting a lot of new listeners worldwide if this is your first time listening welcome yeah absolutely and uh, we'll do our level best to uh keep you entertained and informed and uh we'll do try to do this episode and every episode so thank you so next up, Nick Woodgate, a.k.a. the JoJo Man Band, a.k.a. big friend and big supporter of Stateside Madness, has a new album out. It's called Go, and if you want to take a listen, and I'd encourage you to, it's on Bandcamp. Uh, if you're not familiar with Bandcamp, it's a platform that's done a pretty decent job of making sure that smaller independent musicians and some larger ones as well actually get their fair share of proceeds for their work. So um, I think you ought to check it out. Okay, next on The Communicator, this last Thursday, October 28th, marked the five-year anniversary of the band's last studio album, Can't Touch Us Now, which was released in 2016. And Friday, October 29th, was the nine-year anniversary of the release of Wee Wee CC Ya Ya Da Da back in 2012. And coming up on Monday, November 1st, will be the 22nd anniversary of the album Wonderful, followed shortly thereafter on November 5th, it'll be the 39th anniversary of The Rise and Fall. Oh, yeah. 
Chris, what time is it? Showtime! Again, this week is Madness and the Go-Go's. The Go-Go's are being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on October 30th. And this is really, really significant because they're the first all-female band to perform and write their own songs to go to number one on the Billboard charts. Many previous all-girl acts still had a man behind the scenes pulling the strings, you know, Svengali. Motown acts such as the Supremes and Martha and the Vandellas were controlled by Barry Gordy. Punk rock act The Runaways were controlled by Kim Fowley. So very early on in their careers, the girls really took charge of their own promotion, their own songwriting, and um, took control of their own image. Now, Madness actually had a very early connection to the Go-Go's. Now, this is something I did not realize until I was watching the go-go's documentary film and I happened to look up and who's on my screen but Lee Thompson I'm thinking what is he doing in a documentary about the go-go's well as we're going to find out Madness had a very very big connection with the go-go's in the very start of their career and because a lot of this stuff is a little bit fabled it's been out there in uh you know in the world in ethernets on tv in the 80s things like that um, it's a little hard to tell what's the truth, what's the fiction. Uh, Lori's done her level best to research this. Some of the sources she's gone to would have been Belinda Carlisle's autobiography, Lips Unsealed, a memoir. Kathy Valentine's autobiography, All I Ever Wanted, a rock and roll memoir. The Go-Go's, a yin pop guide by Stephen White. And the Go-Go's documentary film on Showtime. That's probably worth noting that Gina Shock's memoir is about to come out. Uh, at the time that we're recording this, it is not out. It is actually going to be out, I believe, October 29th. So by the time this episode is released and you're listening to it, I'll probably be reading Gina's memoir. And before we go too deep into anything, so we just want to introduce the players. So you know all the boys in Madness. But the Go-Go's are now and were... Belinda Carlisle on vocals, Jane Weedlin on rhythm guitar and background vocals, Charlotte Caffey on guitar, Gina Shock on drums, and Kathy Valentine on bass. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the origins of the Go-Go's. We're going to reach back to about 1977. And that's when Belinda Carlisle, using the stage name Dottie Danger, was in a punk band called The Germs. At the time, she was dating a drummer who was in a band known as The Dickies. Belinda met Jane Weedland backstage at a Dickies show. Jane was at the time a fashion student and a guitarist, and she was using the moniker Jane Drano. Love it. Belinda and Jane discovered they lived in the same apartment complex. So the following year, January 1978, Jane and Belinda attended the infamous 
final show of the Sex Pistols in San Francisco at the Winterland Ballroom. Now, as you know, Polly, the Sex Pistols literally inspired hundreds of bands in the late 70s. And soon Belinda and Jane got it into their heads, like many others who had seen the Sex Pistols, that they wanted to form a band together. So also around this time, there was another young lady who attended the Winterland Ballroom show. It was also determined to start her own band. This was bassist Margot Olivaria. Coincidentally, Margot also lived at the Canterbury Apartments, the same complex that Jane and Belinda lived in. Margot and drummer Eliza Bello were starting a band called The Misfits, curious, and they asked Jane and Belinda to join. One of the Go-Go's earliest songs uh, from a rehearsal in 1979 called Living at the Canterbury, which was actually written about the apartment complex that the girls all lived in, the Canterbury Apartments. As Polly mentioned, uh, the girls founded a band called The Misfits, but in May 1978, the Kinks released an album called Misfits. So The Misfits, Belinda, Jane, Margot, and Elisa, decided to change their name to the Go-Go's after the Smokey Robinson and the Miracle song, Going to a Go-Go. They played their first show together with Jane on guitar, Margot on the bass, Elisa on drums, and Belinda on vocals on May 31st, 1978 at the Mask Club in Hollywood. Now at the time, they only had two songs, Overrun and Robert Hilburn. So they played Overrun twice. These are both unreleased tracks. Let's listen to a little bit of Overrun and Robert Hilburn.
And so then, as the story goes, they started practicing and playing a handful of local clubs. By September, they had recruited a second guitarist, Charlotte Caffey. The girls soon realized they needed a manager, so they hired Ginger Canzanari to manage them. In June of 1979, Gina Schock was brought in to replace Alyssa on drum. The band felt Alyssa had become unreliable, not showing up to rehearsals and things like that. But they left it to their new manager, Ginger, to break the news to her. One of the songs which Gina performed at her audition was an early version of Beatnik Beach. Let's take a listen. And that was Beatnik Beach, recorded live at Palos Verdes High School in Los Angeles in December of 1981. On December 2nd of 1979, the Go-Go's found themselves opening for madness at the Whiskey A Go-Go in LA, and a friendship began to develop between the bands. According to Belinda, she quickly developed a thing for Suggs. She wrote in her memoir, by showtime, we were flirting and having a good time watching each other on stage. Afterward, everyone from both bands went back to their hotel, the Tropicana, and partied pretty hard. I woke up next morning in a chaise lounge next to the pool. Once the boys returned to England, Suggs and Belinda corresponded via letters. However, she read in fan magazines that Suggs and Betty Bright were a couple, so she realized there was little hope of her and Suggs becoming a couple. And that was a snippet of He's So Strange, live at a rehearsal, January 1980. Madness returned to perform in Los Angeles on March 14, 1980. And once again, the Go-Go's were invited to open for them. Belinda wrote in her autobiography, Madness returned to Los Angeles, and I don't know why I let myself, but I hope Suggs would try to start something. He didn't. However, Madness did invite the Go-Go's to open for them on their UK tour. Their manager, Ginger Canzanari, had to scrape up the cash for airfare, even selling her car to raise the cash. By April 1980, Belinda, Jane, Charlotte, Margot, and Gina were in England and on tour with Madness. Why don't we take a listen to the song London Boys again 
recorded live at Palos Verdes High School in Los Angeles. I love that one. That's one of my favorite songs by them. From April 21st to June 14th, 1980, the Go-Go's opened for Madness on a two-month tour of the continent. It was not at all what the girls expected. The hotels were completely run down and there was little money for meals. Belinda wrote, even beer was a luxury. When we toured with Madness, we waited for them to finish their pre-show dinner and then dug through the trash for the scraps they threw out. So as the Go-Go's toured with both Madness and the Specials, several romances were struck up. Mark Bedford dated drummer Gina Schock. Tomo said, my missus is convinced that I was knocking off the lead singer Belinda Carlisle. I was in her bedroom with Chrissy Boy. I had a case of the wind. She never invited me back into her bedroom again. <laughs> I think Jane had actually written on her blog at one point that there had been a romance between her and Chris, but she took that down. And then Jane Weedland started a secret romance with Terry Hall of the Specials, who was engaged to be married to someone else. fans in the UK were not terribly accepting of the Go-Go's. You know, they may have had to take that. Here was an all-American, all-girl punk act opening for a British ska band. I guess they didn't feel the fit was that great. According to Jane, first of all, we were not ska. So what the hell were we doing opening for these ska bands? Second of all, we were Americans. And third of all, maybe the worst of all, we were chicks. Now, the practice of gobbing was particularly horrifying to the girls. Now, if you're not familiar, that's this sort of practice where fans just kind of let one go and spit on the band performing. Generally speaking, not a sign of reverence. We used to call it hawking a loogie. Yeah, yeah, there, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they weren't embraced, to say the least, and uh, I think they were probably starting to get it a little in the feels for being spit on all the time. Uh, this made the Go-Go's, though, even more determined. Uh, Charlotte had said at one point, 
We're going to show those fuckers. So while the Go-Go's were touring with Madness in the specials, their manager, Ginger, brought the girls' demos to Dave Robinson at Stiff Records in search of a recording deal. Now, Robinson reportedly had some reservations, but he sensed that We Got the Beat had the potential for a hit single. Now, Ginger very wisely insisted on the band retaining the publishing rights. We Got the Beat was released as a one-off single on Stiff Records in the UK on July 27, 1981. Here's the Stiff Records version of We Got the Beat. Once the Go-Go's returned to Los Angeles after the UK tour, they started to notice that things were changing. Their import single, We Got the Beat on Stiff Records, was a big seller in Los Angeles record shops. It was frequently played in LA dance clubs. It soon became a top 40 single, peaking at number 35 on the Billboard Hot Dance Club play charts. Huge crowds began showing up at their shows. Why don't we take a listen to a song from that era this town. So despite the success of their stiff record single, they still had trouble securing a record contract, mostly because they were an all-girl band who wrote their own songs with no male pulling the strings. And there was another problem. Bassist Margot was starting to have creative differences with the rest of the band. The Go-Go seemed to be moving in more of a pop direction, but Margot wanted to stay true to their punk roots. Now, Margot became seriously ill with hepatitis, and so she missed a number of shows at the band's residency at the Whiskey A Go-Go, and they needed someone else to play their upcoming New Year's Eve show. Now, at the same time, there was another band forming in Los Angeles. In late 1978, a guitarist named Kathy Valentine moved from Texas to Los Angeles, and in Los Angeles, she formed a band called the Textones with her friend, Carla Olson. 
The Textones released a handful of singles, including a cover of the Tom Petty song called I Can't Fight It. On the B-side appeared a song which Kathy wrote about a summer fling she had in Austin. That song was called Vacation. Let's listen to Vacation by the Textones. enough, the Textones had a few connections with Madness's record label, Stiff Records. One of Carla's friends was married to Stiff co-founder Jake Riviera, who managed Elvis Costello, The Damned, and Nick Lowe. As a matter of fact, for the music video Cruel to be Kind, Nick Lowe and his band borrowed the Textones' musical instruments. And if you look at the video for Cruel to be Kind, you can see the name Textones in block letters on the bass drum. So Kathy was a bit of a journeyman musician, you might say. In fact, you might even say a journeywoman musician. Uh, she bounced around from band to band. She just really absorbed herself in music, uh, played uh, a couple of shows, it would seem, with uh, Jimmy Vaughn from the fabulous Thunderbirds when she lived back in Texas. And at one point, she was in the UK on a visit and answered a Melody Maker ad to join a band. Um, and she was briefly in girls' school. So if you're not familiar with girls' school, they're a fantastic, fantastic punk act. And um, punk, hard rock, metal, you know, it's a little, little hard to define them. They were kind of considered part of the uh, new wave of British metal. Uh, but they were, some people might call them protégés, some people might call them peers of Motorhead, but all around a fantastic band, uh, just great. And... In fact, the Textones and the Go-Go's had once played together at the Whiskey. So, small wonder that Kathy Valentine and the Go-Go's would cross paths. Charlotte approached Kathy in the washrooms of the Whiskey and asked if she would play the bass. Now, Kathy was a guitarist. She said that she could, but in her memoir, she wrote, I figured with five years of guitar playing under my belt, how bad could it be? Kathy then went home with a cassette tape player and spent the next few days figuring out how to play the bass parts and working out the chord changes. One of the first songs Kathy played with the band was How Much More. Let's take a listen.
finally they found that the rest of the band seemed to have good chemistry with Kathy. And after eight shows at the whiskey with Kathy on bass, they left it to their manager, Ginger, to fire Margo. So that was We Don't Get Along, live at Hakano Plaza in Tokyo in June of 82, written by Kathy Valentine. Eventually, the girls caught the attention of Miles Copeland, who was starting his own independent label called IRS Records. Miles Copeland finally offered the Go-Go's a recording contract. And then in April of 1981, the Go-Go's flew to New York to record their debut album at Penny Lane Studios. At Penny Lane Studios, Richard Goderer produced the album on a shoestring budget of $40,000. Now, previously, Richard was best known for writing pop songs such as Hang On Sloopy and I Want Candy. He was kind of taking the band in a little bit more of a pop direction. As Kathy Valentine said, our band was making a pop record with a punk rock ethic. The album was released on July 8th, 1981. Here's one of the singles. This was actually the third single off of Beauty and the Beat. This is called Automatic. Quiet now, still the night. Now, Terry Hall from the specials continued to correspond via mail with Jane in Los Angeles. Terry sent Jane a love letter, which included some lyrics. Jane completed the lyrics and added music. As a result, she had written the song, Our Lips Are Sealed. Kathy Valentine says Jane wrote it herself. However, the song is credited to Weedley and Hall because Jane wanted credit for Terry for the letter. Initially, Jane was scared to share the song with the Go-Go's, but eventually she did, and they loved it. It was chosen as the band's first single and released on June 12, 1981. Our Lips Are Sealed reached the Billboard Top 20 and spent a total of 30 weeks on the charts. The following year, Terry Hall recorded the song with his new band, Fun Boy 3. Fun Boy 3 released Our Lips Are Sealed on April 29, 1983. Interestingly, 
The Go-Go's version is almost unknown in the UK, but the Fun Boy 3 version reached number seven on the UK single charts. In the year 2000, Rolling Stone magazine named the Go-Go's version, Our Lips Are Sealed, as one of the 100 greatest pop songs of all time. But right now, we're going to listen to the Fun Boy 3 version of Our Lips Are Sealed. but it's a little bit darker isn't it i like it as well i bought this uh, 12 inch single of it yeah it's it's a fun take on it so we mentioned that uh the go-go's had signed to miles copeland's label irs they were booked to open for stuart copeland's band that's miles brother the police now while they were opening for the police something very interesting happened their album actually overtook the police album in the charts. And there's a story about Sting going into the Go-Go's dressing room with a bottle of champagne to congratulate the girls because they had the number one album, which was very gracious of him because I think anybody else, you know, might've been a little bit bitter, but uh, the police were very supportive and very congratulatory. So after a long and steady climb, Beauty and the Beat reached number one in the album chart on March 6, 1982. The following week, the song, We Got the Beat. Now, this was the American release, which is different than the Stiff Records release, entered the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. The album stayed number one for six consecutive weeks and sold in excess of two million copies. It was RIAA certified double platinum, making it one of the most successful debut albums of all time. And now we're going to listen to a live version of Can't Stop the World, recorded at the Greek Theater in L.A. in August of 1984.
story doesn't end there. They had several more albums. They had a few fallings out, a few conflicts. We're limiting ourselves here to the years, the early years, 77 to 81, and kind of how they overlapped with madness. For more information, we recommend that you either watch the Go-Go's documentary, which is available on Showtime, or read one of the band members' memoirs. Also, as we mentioned previously, Gina Schock's memoir, Made in Hollywood, All Access with the Go-Go's, will be released on October 26th, 2021. I think earlier I said October 29th. It is October 26th. Some final thoughts on the Go-Go's here. The Go-Go's were nominated for a Best New Artist Grammy in 1981. In 1982, the Go-Go's made rock and roll history, becoming the first all-female band who wrote their own songs and played their own instruments to reach number one on the Billboard album chart. They also had a female drum roadie and a female manager, Ginger Canzanieri. They are being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on October 30th, 2021, and rightly so. Drew Barrymore is going to be the one inducting the Go-Go's. And the ceremony will air here in the U.S. on November 20th on HBO, and it will stream on HBO Max. So I don't think it would be accurate to say that the Go-Go's would not have achieved their success without madness, because these girls were determined. And one way or another, I think they would have found the success that they were seeking, right? But it is significant because madness saw something that nobody else saw at the time. And by inviting the girls to open for them on their tour, they really kind of gave the girls their first shot. And that opened up the connections with Stiff Records that got their first single out and um, really got the ball rolling. So there is a very significant piece of the Go-Go's history there that, that I think does tie into madness. Polly, you don't have any, any, any other thoughts or anything? I, I, I'm just not familiar enough to Okay, know. all right. Well, you know, I actually knew the Go-Go's before I knew of Madness. When I was growing up, there was a girl that lived across the street. Her name was Kristen Coulter, and she was my age. And I used to spend weekends at my dad's, and I'd go across the street to Kristen's, and she had her little, uh, you know, one of those little suitcase-type turntables that kids all had. And she loved the Go-Go's and we played Beauty and the Beat. Just, I, I swear we must've wore out her copy. So um, that was a big part of my childhood, listening to the Go-Go's with Kristen Coulter. I have no idea whatever happened to Kristen Coulter. Hey, if you happen to be out there, Kristen, and you happen to be listening, email us, uh, statesidemadness at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you've been up to. And we're very near the end of the episode, folks. And- as per the usual, we've got something a little special for you. Now, when we go out, we're going to play another version of Our Lips Are Sealed, this time by Bite Me Bambi, a ska band from Orange County, California. Uh, stay tuned in two weeks. We're going to be doing another special episode about the TV series, The Young Ones, and Badness had a part in that show as well. Actually, they had two parts, but we'll get to that in two weeks. All right. I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be a really good episode. Thank you again for listening. So goodbye for me. And that's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Stateside Madness.